Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. The Afterword is our weekly podcast where we talk about what we didn't really get to talk about in the weekend message. This week I've got Jay Kim and Steve Clifford with me. We're going to talk about the third and final temptation of Jesus and also kind of do a little bit of a recap of this whole desert wilderness temptation experience of Jesus to kind of see what we can learn and what lessons are in there for us and uh, and how we can proceed forward. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, I could if I really worked on it, because that's the sound you got to make to make. <laughs> that's incredible. That, that sounds like a completely different. Could you do that again? Can you say yeah. something? <laughs> Not really. I can't always make that sound either. It's just kind of that's weird when you. That's that's really great. I have a I have an okay Scooby Doo. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's all right. What about you? Right. Oh, thank you, Jay. Why don't you go ahead and go? I'm just saying it's not great. It's not great. I actually think the skill of um, ventriloquism or, or no of of imitating other famous people <laughs> is really funny, but it's not it, something that I can really do. It is really funny. What what word am I looking for? Not it's not ventriloquism. It's a um, caricature. Now, what's the word? Uh, impressions. 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 Yeah. Impressions. Yeah. impressions. Imper- an impersonator. Impersonation. Personation, that's Imper- what impersonation. That's what it is. Like uh, Frank Caliendo. Oh, he, yeah, he's, he's good. He's amazing. He's sports. He does he's all the so... sports people, too. <laughs> he does. There's a golfer that imitates other golfers that's hilarious. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? He can do the swings of other golfers. Oh, swings, too. Well, that doesn't sound as funny as... I... you got to be a golfer. Uh, it's like impressive. It is. To be able to... It is. It is. Ah. <sighs> Okay, well, gents, I'd like to start off with the story, and then I'm going to jump oh, in. I'm story gonna, time. I'm, no, Wait, are we recording? Yeah, we always are. You walk in here, we're live. <laughs> I don't understand. what's what, Why is that always confusing? I don't everyone? know. You never tell us that we're starting. Okay, we're I starting. Just, hey, everybody. Even all my Donald Duck stuff? <laughs> Let's take that stuff out, please. Welcome to the afterward. I'd like to start. I'm here with Steve Clifford and Jay Kim. Uh, now, before we get going, I'd like to I'd like to start with a brief story. Okay. And... Uh, it's actually from my alma mater, the college I graduated from. Oh, stop. Oh, my gosh. Would you stop? It, this is, it has to do with football, Steve. Okay. Oh. Okay, oh. so the final season okay. of our, our kind of legendary coach. Um, you haven't told people who your alma mater well, is. Well, yes. It's, so. a, it's an obscure school in Indiana. Okay. It's DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. That's where I graduated, in the middle of the cornfield. I thought but you went to Ohio State. No, no. Ohio State is who I root for because I grew up in the shadow of the Ohio Coliseum DePaul. on the banks of the okay. Olentangy. That's okay. Why. Anyway, so the way that the story goes, and again, this is kind of weird. Um, Nick Morosis was our head coach, and he had he was a legend, okay? So it was his final game, and it's against our arch rival. Is an all-male school, an all-boys school down the road called Wabash, and it's the third longest like college football rivalry in the United States. No one's ever heard of it. It's Division Three, so it doesn't really matter. It's not like Ohio State, Michigan, or something. <laughs> I played Division Three. It mattered. It matters a little, uh, but yeah. it mattered to us a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. So the final game of the season, um, Wabash is much better than DePaul. They're, okay. they're they're just better. In fact, I think they might have been either 
one loss or undefeated. They're really quite good. So what happens is uh, DePaul ends up winning. They win the game. And it was a huge upset. It was like very, uh, very low scoring game. Yeah. Like 13 to nine, something like that, you yeah. know? So out of this comes a complaint from Wabash. And they claim, and, and then there was a whole NCAA investigation, I think. Uh, they claimed that somehow DePaul's IT program actually got inside the headsets of <laughs> Wabash's team, and they were s- doing scenes, uh, uh, signal stealing and that play calling. And so they had somehow um, actually stolen it. And that's the reason why, because every time the defense was out on the field, they knew exactly what play was going to be called, right? Okay. Now, that's a huge advantage, right, Steve? Uh, yeah, I would call that an advantage. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a giant advantage, right? You can win a game, right, over a better opponent. Yeah. So anyway, the point was that uh, Nick didn't really – our head coach didn't have anything to do with it. They, they said it was a, a, a lower um, coach on his staff or even so a student who had, had done this. There was a whole investigation, but that was the kind of story that circulated. It reminded me of this story because this past week you talked about the temptations of Jesus in the desert, and you kind of help people kind of decode these temptations so that when we face them and we're all going to face them, we have the playbook, right? We know what's going to happen. Is that kind of how you think about it? Or just the idea of like playing good defense against good offense um, or the idea of being able to deconstruct um, in the best possible way what's actually happening Mm. with these temptations? Is that a way that you've thought about it? Or like, how do you think about just even this past week's message and how you entered into yeah. that kind of uh, idea. I don't know. I think Steve should answer first because it, it's he's a, a football coach. Yeah, it's yeah. a curious way you're framing the question. And uh, Steve played football for many years, coached football for yeah. many years. I don't know. Does it apply, Steve? The defense offense. You, yeah, I think the analogy breaks down really quick because <laughs> you can't know for sure. Hmm. hmm. But there are there does seem to be at least in what's captured for us in the scriptures. There seems to be a pattern. At some very big moments when uh, the enemy of God's program, the enemy of God's kingdom, is trying to destroy the direction that God's trying to lead things, he seems to move in a way, certainly he moves for sure with ideas rather than... Rather than bringing something, he, he I think he attacks with the ideas, and the ideas assassinate or attempt to assassinate the character of God. Mm-hmm. And it seems that there are patterns that we see in Genesis 3 when um, Adam and Eve are being tempted, yep. and then the explanation of, of what the world is in 1 John chapter 2, um, and then the temptation of Christ. There seems to be this triad of temptations that almost all temptations probably fall into. Mm. So it's it's the conviction, and my, my conviction is that if there is someone who is working and behind the scenes to destroy you, the more you could know about his efforts, um, the more you would recognize his efforts when they show up in your life. His tactics, right? Yeah. And, and you can get some traction there for Yeah, so that was kind of my thought. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, sense. I mean, maybe the the metaphor applies a little bit in that and steve you can speak to this dave and i can only speak as those who have watched other men play football (laughs) whereas you can uh, speak as one who has played and coached um there is there is something to be said for you know a team understanding the other team's 
general style of play or approach to a game or a, an opposing coach's sort of philosophical approach or style offensively right. and defensively. Right, you know, right. this is whatever for, for football fans, like a passing team or a running team or this team blitzes on 80% of the snaps or whatever. You know, you sure. can know those things so that, yeah, maybe you cannot get – you don't know every play that's coming every single snap in the game, but you can certainly game plan and be prepared. In fact, if you don't do that work and you <laughs> you watch no film on your opponent, you have no idea if they like to throw the ball or run the ball, if they like to blitz or lean back or whatever. If you don't know anything at all – you are guaranteeing yourself a disadvantage. So in that way, I think understanding the approach, the tactics, and he is easy to understand, the devil. I mean, like his name gives it away. You know, deception is his game. Yeah. Um, telling lies. Is that his native tongue? But not not lies, you know, <laughs> that, that are like childlike, childish, right. where it's just so ridiculous. Lies that are sort of laced with truth. Right. You know, if you read the temptation the most narratives, deceptive kind of lies. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's quoting scripture. Right. So, uh, on the surface, you feel like, oh, he's uh, telling the truth. Oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're right. God did say that, right? So, I guess, but that's his tactic. Yeah, and I think the awareness of that helps us today. Like, man, this is how the enemy wants to pull me and lure me away from God is to lie to me in ways that sound truthful. Um, and even in his appearance, he appears as an angel of light. Yeah, I think of him as appearing like uh, some bat out of like some horror film. You know? Sure, yeah, because that's easy to say. Oh, that's evil, but right. an angel of the light, the most beautiful, right? That that that's uh, that's a little bit trickier, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, he's as successful as he is because he's brilliant. Yeah, um, and his intellect far surpasses any of ours. Right. Um, now he's not he's not omniscient. Right. And um. He's not, um, he's not everywhere at once. Um, so I, I think that sometimes, as we talked about in the message from mine, my message anyway, is that we tend to lean one way or the other where we give him way too much credit or we way, way too little. Yeah. And the scriptures, Jesus does not hesitate at all to speak very forthrightly about a force of evil that seeks to, that seeks to work against the kingdom of God and, and the coming of God's purposes. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's focus in on the third temptation because we've done the first and the second, uh, and afterwards on them. And that's this, um, moment where Satan, the tempter shows Jesus, the kingdoms of the world says, all this is yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these things, right? I'll give you, I'll give you this. Uh, there's a number of ways that, that people of commentators and theologians have, have, have tried to make sense of this final temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's been most helpful for you as you as you think through this final temptation? Um, some uh, on the card that we handed people, which said, um, "I have to become great." There was an idea that of, of 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 achievement and greatness. Is there other ways that you 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 think about this one? Well, one of them was when when Jay and I were working together. There's the splendor. The idea that there's an offer of splendor mm-hmm. that Christ already knows and understands that he will receive. The word there is actually from the word glory. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, yes. And and what it's interesting is is because of that, because Satan is actually offering Jesus what he what Jesus will really already eventually get. Yeah. 
um, the real temptation is to short circuit, to, to take a shortcut yeah, or to, you know, to be, to have, um, the glory without the cross. Ah, uh, yes. You see, and, yeah. and in that instance, um, you see how subtle and how brilliant this offer is, yeah. uh, is that, man, why go through all of that, Jesus? I can give you, I can give you exactly the same thing. You're going to end up all with glory. You're going to end up glorified. I can put you in the spot where you'll be glorified right now and you don't have to go through all this mess. Right. Yeah. And listen, that is a very subtle temptation that we all give into on a regular basis. Mm. Um, we show hospitality to the idea that we don't have to go through the process to get the product. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Somehow get it out of our way. Yeah, there's that Hebrews passage that people often quote, you know, but it's it's hard to it's hard to embrace in our everyday lives. Hebrews twelve two, for the joy set before him, he Jesus endures the cross, right, and uh, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the of the throne of God, which is a means of glory, achieving yeah, glory. Absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a euphemism for saying, you know, in, in the ancient world and the world of kings, you know, to sit at the right hand is to be glorified as 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 the king, you know, right. to sit at the right hand of the king is to become sort of um, to to enter into that king's stratosphere of glory and majesty and honor. So you know, I mean, what a backwards verse <laughs> to say he endures the cross to then sit at the right hand. He endures the cross to then ascend to glory, yeah. and um, that is the way of Jesus to descend, you know, all the way even into yeah. death in order to ascend and. Yeah, Steve's exactly right. The devil tempts Jesus and tempts us today by offering us glory, you know, ascension to glory without any sort of descension into death. Except the problem is he's subtle about it, but there is a sort of descending. You know, he says, bow down and worship me. You know, that mm -hmm. word proskuneo, worship in the Greek, is literally a word that means, it sounds like the word prostrate because it has the same root. It actually means to descend and f fall face first before one yeah. whom you consider kind of like the highest authority or whatever. That's the word worship. So the devil essentially is like, yeah, Jesus, I'll give you all the glory you want. All you got to do is descend before me, you know, like worship and bow down before me. And um, we don't, we think we're too modern to believe in little red guys with horns and pitchforks. So we don't, call these things like the devil but there's a lot of stuff a lot of idolatrous stuff that we knowingly are or unknowingly fall prostrate before their altars you know yeah. money security safety yeah uh the, the you know whatever the educational success of our children i mean whatever it might be yeah and you, they're almost always good things yeah but yeah. they just can't be primary or or, or god things when they yes. when they make that change I think we also kind of lose what what he, what it does help us here is not so much when we recognize the strategy. It doesn't mean that we're going to be smarter than Satan or anything like that. But it does it does mean that we can understand a strategy to combat his strategy. Now think about this: in um, if Satan attacks with an idea, and we always counterattack with willpower, mm. then we will lose. Yeah. We will lose. Because eventually our willpower runs out? The willpower is, is actually a weakling compared to the power of ideas. Hmm. 
uh, a good friend of mine and and Jay's actually. He says he says um, habits eat willpower for breakfast. Mm-hmm. It, it because so you have to change. You that's why when Jesus when Jesus confronts the lies that Satan brings, he comes with truth. He he didn't like say, um, no, I'll never bow down. It's in essence, he did, but he he combated it with the truth yeah. to combat the lie that God was holding out, that, uh, that there was a shortcut that was really just as good, and right. God's being unrealistic and unloving by putting you through this. So that idea has to be combated with the truth. <clears throat> a lie has to be combated by the truth, not yeah. willpower. Willpower will fall short. It will always fall short. It is interesting that in this narrative, the, the final word that Jesus says right after that is, um, is essentially, get out of here. Yeah. And later on, he would say that same phrase Mm. when Peter is in a boat and Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to him. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And the son of man will be delivered into the hands of men. He'll be crucified. And Peter says, no way, no way. Right. And then Jesus kind of sharply says the same phrase. Yeah, and he doesn't address Peter. He addresses him as Satan. Right. Get behind me, Satan. Which it's yeah. because this, um, it does seem as though the temptation to avoid the cross and the suffering and all that that would mean for Jesus was an ever-present temptation. Even in the garden, he prays, "Not my will, but yours." But man, if there's any way, if there's any way, this cup of suffering can be taken from me. That would be that would be great. Only, so it, only, it does seem like that. Yeah, only someone that's mentally ill would would willingly want to suffer like that. Right. right. I mean right. that's you know right. so the problem is not that we don't want that pain. Yeah. The problem is is that we don't is when we won't allow God to take us through the pain that He's put in front of us. Right. That doesn't seem like a, a, a rah-rah speech. <laughs> hey <laughs> hey guys. No, but, I mean, it, but it, you know what I mean? It, it feels like a hard sell. Yeah. Well, yes, but it also it makes it allows you to understand how the scriptures are so central. Mm-hmm. Um, they are so central to the Christian faith because they are our source of truth. Right, and um, <clears throat> any significant transformation in my life, as I as I think back through, I just this past week preparing for the message, um, went back and grabbed an old stack of three by five cards and pulled. Um, a Colossians three passage out that's several three by five cards, and I'm working on it. Started work on it, you know, this week. Um, in that, um, I, I there's some truth in there that is really applicable to the transition and the un what feels like a little bit of an unstable time in my life. Um, you know, as I as I move into a new um, kind of an adventure for Dana and I. Sure. Um, I felt like I needed a fresh dose of truth um, to make sure that I don't show hospitality to the temptations that come my way because they are certainly coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love what Steve just said about going back a little bit about, you know, <laughs> I think we have a misunderstanding about willpower. I think most people just sort of assume they can, you know, we have the phrase like power through, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm just going to grit my teeth and grind it out and get it done. And the reality is we will always fail if that's all we have. Willpower is important, of course. You know? Yeah. But um, that's why, again, going back to like sports uh, metaphors or analogies, 
you know, the greatest athletes in the world are the ones that have both. Yeah, they have willpower. I mean, they're ultimately determined. But you look at the pace and the sort of rhythms of their lives, they're creatures of habit. They'll, like, eat the same thing at the same time and get up at the same time and go to the same gym and wear the same shirt and do the same reps. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah. basketball especially. Yeah, they'll, yeah. like, there's, like, almost, like, ritualistic, almost religious, superstitious ways in which, like, no, I have to make 100 free throws from this spot or a hundred, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just, yeah. they're creatures of habit because that's, that is, it's the only way to shape a life, you know, to, to be able to withstand the challenge of, you know, winning a game, but more importantly, withstanding the onslaught of temptation that comes our way uh, from the enemy. I, I, yeah, I just, I want to reiterate that because I, I don't think we could, we could emphasize it enough. Most people think, all I need is like deep love for God and then just a will to follow him faithfully. It's like, yes, you need that. But really also what you need is like ideas that are deeply embedded in you based on unshakable, timeless truth, scripture, and then the habits, the practices yeah. that allow you to linger deeply in those ideas and allow the spirit of God on a daily basis. Right to shape you, you know, even when it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Right. It's still the, it's, it's just like the NBA players working when you're hit, you know, a thousand shots, you're still well, getting the reps in. You know? Yeah. It's, it's the same exact thing for anything that we want to do. Uh, um, some kind of a transformational habit is simply practicing right now what you can't presently do so that you can one day do it. Um, it's take learning an instrument, learning yeah. a language, um, learning a spiritual discipline. Um, Jay has challenged uh, the staff to begin to fast on a regular basis. And as we're going through this season of spring and, f and summer and um, fasting is simple. And I've talked to two people on staff that were like, oh, my gosh, that my fasting muscle is completely out of shape. <laughs> I mean, you just realize it's just skipping one meal. Yeah. You know how 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 long it has been since we have not immediately satisfied whatever desire we had for food. Mm. And to just simply put that stuff aside, well, it's pretty difficult sometimes, but as you exercise that, um, based on a truth that you, of transformation, then, then you have the opportunity for real change. Yeah. Willpower is a good thing. Yeah. It's just not yes. long-term. Yeah. It's right. just, it, it, it'll just run out. Yeah. You know, it, it, even if you're really, really disciplined, yeah. it'll eventually and run some out if it's are. not based on truth. There are some people who are. Um, can you guys help me give give some flesh and bones to this final temptation? I think some people are like, well, you know, I don't have kingdoms of this world. What does it look like for me to take a moral shortcut in my own life and to somehow cut God out of that process? And um, what what does it look like to to take a moral shortcut to get the glory? And, and and inadvertently or vertently, you know, bow before Satan. Have have you seen this kind of thing play out in people's lives? Um, oh, yeah. Can you give me some examples of, of of just some flesh on the bones for folks? Well, I shared some of them some in this past message about just how, you know, there have been in these first few months of the transition with Jay's leadership that I've been asked to do stuff that no one's ever asked me to do for twenty one years. Um, change offices. I've changed offices on my own initiative. Nobody else asked me for, to do that. Um, change titles. You know, I, um, you know, 
baptisms, I, I mentioned yeah. in the message, baptisms came along. I, I do baptisms. Unless you request somebody else, I've baptized everybody here um, over the last, and, and then I, I sat there and watched Jay baptize. Now, you would think, oh my gosh, that's such a godly thing, somebody getting baptized. You would, how would you be jealous of that? But I was, but it, it, it's, it's a lack, I, I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a power or a prestige or something being taken away. Yeah. And this happens all the time. And it doesn't have to be even significant stuff. Um, it could be just as simple as um, who sits where in the car. Mm. And you, you can sit in the back seat of a car stewing the whole time that a coworker got the front seat to sit next to the boss. Mm. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's as simple and petty is any of those kinds of things where, because it's this subtlety of advancing yourself that this, the, the, the real lie is I must become great uh, in order for, for this life to work. I must be great. Uh, and, um, no, and, and that's a lie. The truth is, is that you actually, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you live in an, in a kingdom that's actually upside down. And the first are last, and the last are first. And those who die actually get real life. And and Jesus is constantly constantly asking us to die to ourself. And um, when you say no to that, even in very small ways, you short-circuit the process about what God wants to do in your your life. And 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 it shows up in, don't make it big deals. Don't, Don't, you know, we've talked about NBA and NFL players and all those kinds of things. It's, it's like husband and wife, brother and sister, right. yeah. um, it's co-workers. It's, it's not wanting to do the dishes after a long, hard day because I deserve to kick back. And, mm. you know, that it's that kind of stuff, little little deaths. We are, I think we're amazingly adept at um, finding slights. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Towards our, towards our person. Yeah. And you yeah. slight me. You didn't honor me. You didn't, you didn't speak to me, you know, whatever. Right. And, uh. Man. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's all around us in big and small ways. There's the obvious examples, you know, like are you stepping on people's necks to climb the corporate ladder? And that certainly is. And what I'm not saying is don't climb the corporate ladder, you know, as a as a follower of Jesus, maybe God is giving you those opportunities to shine light into really dark places and but the next stepping, that that's a problem. But the next stepping is the problem. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, right, it's like right. I will just compromise whatever relationship I need to. I will crush the souls of. Well, I'll have no empathy. I'm right. just, you know, I mean, that's is that is that Christ-like? Is that you know? Is yeah, that yeah. can you imagine the Jesus of the Gospels living and sort of operating that way? But um, that same principle is just alive and well in so many ways, like all, all the time, you know, especially in our hyper divisive, everything's a controversy, everyone is a social commentator world, you know, everything becomes a reason to be angry and outraged. You go to Trader Joe's to buy eggs and four people are wearing masks and seven people aren't, and depending on which side of the fence you're on, in your heart and mind, you're just, you're like burning up because you're judging whichever group you want to judge based on how you feel about whatever, you know? And that's also a way, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, but it is also a way of saying, like, I'm first, you're last. 
I'm right, you're wrong. You know, I'm smart, yeah. you're dumb, whatever. So in big and small ways, I mean, in, insidiously, this happens in marriages all the time. There's that really famous marriage psychologist, John Gottman. He's got that whole thing about like the four horsemen of the marriage apocalypse or something. And he talks about these things that, and he's like an expert. He, he talks about these key components in marriages that he has found through his work are guarantees that they will sabotage the marriage. And the number one uh, is contempt. Yeah. Right. When a couple has contempt for each other. And he's famous for being able to identify right away whether or not yeah, there's he has contempt. people sit and talk to each other and he knows. Yeah, it's body yeah. language. Instantly. It's like any sense of yeah. eye rolling. And I'm not saying this for a married couple listening to feel guilty. I'm saying it because I hope it helps. It's a danger sign. These are all ways yeah. in which we think we're first and they're last. Yeah. You know, and we're smart. They're dumb. Right. We're good. They're any, bad. Any yeah. kind of subtle way where you're exalting yourself over any other thought, person, habit, group of people. I mean, you, you just think about this. This is if you could just conquer this one very serious evil in human nature. It, yeah. It's you would never have any racial division. You never have any. It would end division. wars. It would end wars. Yeah. I mean, it would end strife. Yeah. Um, because it's that big of a deal. It's that, yeah. it, it's, we spend that much amount, that much amount of energy elevating ourselves over other people. Right. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of the, the, what is it that, I guess it's a poem in Philippians, you know, have the same mind of Christ too. Yeah. Though he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather, I mean, it's the, the poem of humility, yeah. humbled himself, even uh, taking the form of a servant and empty, there's that word emptying mm. himself. There's a, probably five or six sermons on that alone, yeah. right? Being born in the likeness of ben, men and then found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But then the poem turns, therefore God has highly exalted him mm. and bestowed on him the name that's above every other name so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Yeah. So in the end, I guess Jesus refuses to trade intimacy with God for the kingdoms of the earth and gets the kingdoms of the earth and intimacy with God. He gets it both. Mm. And if he had not, he would have gotten neither. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty pretty exceptional. Yeah. Um, any final words as we come out of these temptations as as we kind of move out of these these three different temptations? Yeah, mine would be um, how Jay and I finished the messages that you heard, and that is there's there's no arena, there is no depth you have sunk to. There is no amount of, of entertaining temptation over and over and over that remove you from the grace of Christ. Yeah. And I, my, my appeal to you would be, you're, you're, not, you're not disqualified, you're not too far gone. Mm. Jesus is absolutely still fully aware. I mean... Um, when we when we look at some of the passages in Scripture, when we were his enemies, yeah. I mean, on your worst day, he still would have gone to the cross for you. And and the the love of God extended when he to go to the cross, even death on a cross, for to show how much God really loved. Then it's it's just it's foolishness to think, oh, I've, I'm too far gone, or I've 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 given into temptation too much. No, no, that's a cop out. Yeah. That's a cop out. That's that's bull bleep, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. It's it. That's just your excuse because you want to keep doing what you're doing. Mm. 
Because when you're ready, when you're ready, the arms of God are, are wide open to you based on the love of Christ and, and what he did on the cross for us. And so, yes, all of us have fallen to temptation. We will fall again. Um, and each time we do, when we repent and recognize what we've done, we will always, we will always fall into the arms of a loving God. Mm. So good. That's so good. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for, um, thank you. This convo. Thank you guys for stopping by. No, thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks. Just want to say thanks to Jay and Steve for stopping by. Thanks, guys. Next week, join us as we enter into Jesus' public ministry, and we're going to spend some time looking at a word that's one of the most important words in the entire New Testament. And that's a word that Jesus used, and Matthew used it a little bit earlier. In his gospel, we're going to come back to it. It's the word kingdom, and it has massive implications for the way not only we view Jesus, but ourselves and our lives. So join us next week as we dive into that. 